turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Probably many of you at your house at Christmas time. You set up, before Christmas came, you set up a nativity scene. You unwrapped it and you set it out. And common occurrence in most Christian homes, setting out the nativity. But now Christmas is over. And one little girl and her mama were packing away the Christmas decorations. They took the tree down. They even went outside and put away the stuff that was on the shrubs, around the banisters outside on the front porch, and took the lights down, came inside, took the Christmas tree down. and So they, they, they came to where they had the nativity set displayed. And, and so the mama grabbed the styrofoam box, and she got the plastic, which she always kept around and was careful to use to put back. And so the little girl looked at her mama as her mama was putting away the nativity scene, wrapping it back up. And she said, uh, Mama, are we going to pack away Jesus too? We're going to pack away Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you, we've never lived in a culture, even in the church, where we pack away Jesus after Christmas as much as we do now. Now, you know we do that as a nation, as a culture. We like the lights and the glitz. In fact, you know, it's, now it seems like it's back in vogue to say Merry Christmas, which I'm glad about. But I want to encourage you this morning. Here's my message. Don't pack away Jesus. It's obvious that People will come to church around Christmas time when they won't come any other time. People are more generous at Christmas time when normally they may not be. They're more prone to be nice. <laughs> Have you noticed that? <laughs> Even people that you would call a Scrooge are nicer at Christmas time than they are any other time. We're more giving, we're more generous, it seems like we're more hospitable. We're more faithful to church. And I'm thankful, praise the Lord. I've seen people at church over the last four Sundays I've not seen in nine months. And I'm thankful. I don't say that as a jerk or anything like that, or I don't say it sarcastically. I say that, praise the Lord. But let's not pack away Jesus. Now, the text I want you to turn to, you say, Preacher, it's after Christmas. Why are you having us turn to a Christmas passage? Well, let me give you a little clue about the passage in Matthew chapter 2. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that this passage here is after the birth of Jesus? (laughs) Now, you know that. This didn't happen on the same night when Jesus was born. So we could truly say and technically say this is a post-Christmas passage. 
even though we've always used it around Christmas time, the truth is the events that we're about to read about in our text happened after Christmas. After the birthday, after the, as we say, the nativity of Jesus. He's still in Bethlehem, and we're not totally sure how old he is. We know that he's probably, probably around a year to a year and a half. Some even speculate that he was about two years of age when this event occurred. And we see an individual that if I could use the terminology, he wanted to pack away Jesus. Would you see what the scripture says in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1? Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. They said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, In thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Verse 6 is nearly a direct quotation from an Old Testament passage, Micah 5, verse 2. We alluded to this in last week's message. Verse 7, Then Herod when he had privately or privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. Now watch what he said here. For when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Verse 9. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense, and myrrh. Don't pack away Jesus. Why is it, why is it, preacher, that people have a tendency to pack away Jesus after Christmas? Well, let me give you from the text, or from the passage here, three reasons, and there might be a thousand and three reasons, but let me leave you three reasons this morning why I believe people want to pack away Jesus or have a tendency to pack away Jesus after Christmas. Number one, We have a faulty sense of self-autonomy. A faulty sense of self-autonomy. It's interesting in verse 3 as we read about this character, this historical figure in the Bible narrative. His name was Herod, Herod the Great. It's interesting if you study sometime his life. Herod depicts the individuals who want to retain our own autonomy. They like being king. And Herod liked being king. And he saw Jesus as a threat to that autonomy. 
Verse 3 tells us that Herod, when he heard about the Magi, the wise men, when he heard about them being there, it says he was troubled. The word trouble there means stirred up or agitated. He was upset. He wasn't, he, 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 he wasn't glad. He wasn't excited. And even his words to them uh, uh, down uh, in verse 8 where he said, Hey, you go find out where he is. Because, and, and when you find out, you come tell me because I want to go worship him too. Well, friend, you know he was lying. The rest of the story tells us and reveals to us that he had no desire at all to worship Christ, the Christ child. He simply wanted to find out so he could go eliminate the Christ child. He wanted to eliminate the threat there. He loved being king. One writer said, Matthew Poole said about Herod, and I quote, that he took the throne in Jerusalem by force. It wasn't rightfully his, but he stole the throne. He is known in history as a usurper. He saw this newly born king as a definite rival. He had already, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, he had already put to death three of his sons. Can you imagine that? Wanting to be king so bad, wanting to eliminate any rival so bad that you kill three of your own children. He killed his wife. He killed his mother-in-law. Please do not get any ideas. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed his wife's grandfather. Because he saw all of these individuals as a threat to his power and his autonomy. See, let me say this about the baby in the manger. The baby in the manger is a lot less threatening to folks than the Christ on the cross. Certainly less threatening to our autonomy than the Christ who conquered death, hell, and the grave and left an empty tomb. You see, nobody really feels like that the baby in the manger at Christmas time really has a whole lot of sway over their life and and how they ought to live their life and, and who really should control their life. So the baby's safe. The baby's kind of harmless, you see. But Jesus, on the other hand, the Christ of the Gospels, the Christ of Calvary, the Christ of the empty tomb, the Christ who is the second person of the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh. Now, he's a threat to our autonomy. Inside of every single person in this room is the tendency to try to run and govern our own lives. I don't know about you, but I like to call the shots. I like to interject my own opinion and to tell you what I think and to have things my way. I like to be pacified and gratified and pleased. I like that and so do you. I I like, there's a certain part of me where I like to run my life how I think it ought to be run. I've got that tendency inside of me and so do you. It's self-exertion. It's self-autonomy. But let me say, it is a faulty sense of self-autonomy. 
Because the truth of the matter is, and Scripture points this out on so many different occasions, that when I try to run my own life, listen carefully, I end up ruining my own life. Hear me now. Write this in your head, your heart, or somewhere on a piece of paper. God never designed you to be self-autonomous. God didn't didn't create us to govern ourselves. You see, all of us thrive best when we operate under His lordship and His leadership and His governance in our lives. I read this morning uh, Psalm 147 verse 11 and it talks about that God is pleased, God delights. God delights in those who trust in Him, who reverence Him, who fear Him. And it's not that God uh, is an attention hog. Okay, But the Lord knows that He created us to function best when we're functioning under His leadership and under His authority. He is infinite in His knowledge, in His power, in His ability. We are so limited and we are faulty and we are inclined and we are prone to mistakes and to sin and to do wrong and to mess up. We aren't designed to govern our own lives. We only operate best and we only operate like He designed us to operate when we're operating under His Lordship and direction in our everyday life. Herod didn't want that. He saw Christ as a threat. He saw Jesus as somebody who was going to rob him of, of, of his own happiness and joy. But I want to say this and testify just a moment this morning that it wasn't until I found Jesus, or wait a minute, until Jesus found me that I really knew what, the, what, what joy and happiness was all about. I never knew peace until I knew Jesus. I never knew joy until I knew Jesus. I never understood purpose until I... Jesus saved me and changed my life. I never knew true contentment until I found Christ and Jesus saved me. You see, we have this tendency to want to put away Jesus because we have a faulty sense of our own self-autonomy. We like to do things our own way. We like to call the shots. And sometimes, and, I, and, and listen, all the time, what Jesus says is going to interfere with what my carnal flesh wants to do. It is. I don't apologize for that. I'm not sorry about that. And God certainly isn't. If if the Jesus you claim to serve hasn't interrupted your schedule or your agenda or your want-to list, then you haven't found the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus is going to turn over your apple cart. Jesus is going to wreck your plans. Jesus is going to mess up your agenda. (laughs) Because we aren't designed to operate by our own agenda. Listen carefully. Are you you with me this morning? Are we at the First Episcopalian Church or are we at Faith Free Baptist Church this morning? Can I get an amen anywhere in the house today? Hey, there's a reason he's called. Now watch this. There's a reason he's called L-O-R-D. He's Lord. That means he calls the shots. 
He calls the shots on December 25th, and he calls the shots on January 25th. Every day. Don't pack away Jesus. People pack away Jesus because we have a faulty sense of our own self-autonomy. Hey, we pack away Jesus, number two, because we forget just how worthy he is. It's interesting that these magi, these wise men, we don't know what the number was. We don't know how long it took them to get there. We do know what they did. Notice the time it took. Probably a year and a half at least. Notice the energy they expended. Notice the effort they put forth. Notice the expense that they invested in welcoming Jesus into this world. They got it. They understood what Herod didn't understand. Their journey was not one of convenience. It was one of compulsion. They were compelled with what they had discovered and what they had known and what they had studied out through the Old Testament prophecies. There was something that drove them to go to Bethlehem. They had to follow that star. They had to welcome this Messiah, this newborn king of the Jews. And they understood something that I'm afraid most of the world doesn't understand and most of Americans don't understand. He was the king of the universe. That's why they came. They weren't hunting for political expediency. They weren't trying to promote self or anything like that, brother. They realized there was something unique about this baby boy that had been born. And they had to get to him. That's why they traveled so far. That's why they gave the gifts that they gave. Gold, myrrh, and frankincense. All three of these commodities were just precious and rare and valuable and expensive. And it's the most expensive thing they could get their hands on. That's why they did it. Notice the obvious, what we would say, inconveniences on their schedule, their agenda, and even their lives and their pocketbook. But in their mind, no gift was too great, no journey was too hard, no distance was too far for Christ. You know what I'm afraid of today? I'm afraid that all of us have lost the wonder of who he is. It says in verse 2, and again in verse 11, in verse 2, they tell Herod what they want to do. In verse 11, they lived out what they came to do. It says that they worshipped him. I, I stay perplexed about why in churches... Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches, people get nervous when you mention the word worship. Like it's taboo. Oh, you can't mention that word. Why? Because so-and-so down at such-and-such church, divorce the concept from any church that you're familiar with, and let's keep it, uh, let's, let's, let's attach that word back to where we got it from, and that's in the Word of God. Stop letting your fear over what some other church might do or think you think they do override you missing a blessing and missing what God has commanded us to do in His Word. Worship Him. Glorify Him. How about this? Get excited about Him. 
We've lost our excitement. We've lost our fire when it comes to Jesus. We sang hymns, ho-hum. Our songs that we sang, we sang it ho-hum. Brother, sister, get excited about Jesus. Not just at church. Hey, if the only time you get excited about Jesus is at church, I say to you, you're really not getting excited about Jesus. I'm talking about get excited about Jesus at your house. Teach your children how to get excited about Jesus. Teach them what that's all about. Get excited about Jesus in your private time as you're reading your Bible and as you're praying. Get ex- stay excited about Jesus in your day. Jesus is not just a one-time-a-week Savior. He's a 365, 24-7 Savior. And He's worthy to get excited about. He's worthy of worship. You know what the word worship means there in verse 2 and verse 11? Here's what it literally means. It means to kiss the hand of the master like a dog. To prostrate yourself down. To couch down before the master. You're doing that because you're scared? No. It's not out of fear. It's not out of being scared. It's out of respect and reverence. Realizing who he is and how great and awesome he is. That's why they bowed down. That's why they worshiped. That's why they got before the Lord. And that's why when they stood up, they presented unto him the greatest things, most expensive things they could possibly imagine. Have you lost the wonder of who he is? Faith Church, have you lost the sense of worthiness that he has? I'm not saying we need to get all hyped and hooped up about something that's carnal and fleshly and doesn't matter. I'm not talking about a show. I'm not talking about just being emotional. Friend, I'm talking about having a joy and a passion and an excitement and enthusiasm that's given by God, the Holy Spirit, when we realize just how awesome Jesus really is. That ought to put a smile on your face. That ought to restore confidence in Him. That ought to do something about your spirit and your attitude. That ought to color and shape everything in our lives. He's worthy. Around the throne of God, that's the song they're singing. Holiness and worthiness. That's the song we're going to sing in glory. You read Revelation 5, Revelation 6, Revelation 7. Thou art worthy. That's what they're singing. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. Glory and honor, glory and honor and power. That's the song they're singing. That's right out of Revelation. 
And I'll say this to you. I'm afraid some of us, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be accustomed to singing that. We're going to see people praising the Lord, shouting and glorifying God and getting excited about Jesus. And we're going to stand over here in the corner and we're going to say, ooh, what are they doing? That's making me feel uncomfortable. Hey, have you forgotten what he's done for you? I don't want to forget what he's done for me. I'm telling you, I know I was a scoundrel. I was 11 years old, but I was an 11-year-old scoundrel. I was lost as anybody has ever been. So were you. I don't care if you were 5, 11, 25, 55, or 95. When Jesus found you, you were as lost as last year's Easter eggs. Look at what he's done for you. Have you gotten over that? You see, these magi, they lived on that side of the cross. Look at, we know way, way, way more than they did. They were excited. They rejoiced. They bowed down. They worshiped. And we sit through our Christian life and just twiddle our thumbs. Ho hum Christianity. Come on. Listen. Come on, y'all. Let's respond to Christ like he deserves to be responded to. Wake up tomorrow morning with a purpose about your life. And a praise on your lips. And an excitement about you being a child of the king. Undone by his mercy. Undone by his goodness. Totally blown away by the goodness of God in your life. Wow. How can you not praise him? How can you not get excited about him? If you think about it. Why is it we want to pack away Jesus? We have a faulty sense of our own self-autonomy. We forget just how worthy he is. I'm afraid we got too much worrying and not enough worship. I'm afraid we have too much busyness and not enough bowing down. And then I close with this. We pack away Jesus because we lose sight of the purpose of Christmas. Preacher, why did God give us Christmas? You know why God gave us Christmas? God didn't give us Christmas for all this. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. This is what man has done, though. This is the trappings of man. That ain't why God gave us Christmas. You see, Bethlehem was here. God gave us Bethlehem because 33 and a half years later, there was going to be a Calvary. This is why he came. He didn't stop at Bethlehem. The God of heaven entered this world through the womb of a virgin in the form of a baby so that he would grow to be a man 
And so that man, the God-man, the Lamb of God, the sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb would go to Calvary's cross and bleed and die and give his life a ransom for the whole world. That's why there's a Bethlehem. That's why there's Christmas. And when I realize if all I do is bask in Bethlehem, I've missed it. If I just get excited about Christmas and I don't live in light of the cross, I've missed it. He didn't come to stay a baby. He didn't come for the adulation and the praise and exaltation that he experienced in Matthew 2. Oh, friend, listen carefully. You need, to, you need to remember he came for what you read about in Matthew 27. And I'm afraid we forget and lose sight of why he came. You see, the shadow of the cross falls across the manger. And every step he took when he began to crawl as an infant and when he began to walk as a little boy, every step he took took him closer and closer and closer to Calvary. That's why he came. You see, that's what it's all about. That's his mission. And now his mission has turned into the message that we share with everybody. And that message, it's called the gospel, the good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, where Jesus has shed his blood and given his life for the sins of the entire world. And whosoever will can come and be saved. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God did love the world, and he did give his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what it's about. Every day of my life, I'm to live in light of Calvary. So let me give you the takeaway. As we close, we're coming down the home stretch. The landing gear's out. We're fixing to land on the runway. Go to Colossians 1, please, quickly in your Bible. Colossians 1. Here's the takeaway. Let him have his rightful place. Today, every day, every hour, every moment, every scenario, every situation, at home, on the job, in your marriage, in your finances, in your personal schedule, in your private world, let him have his rightful place. Colossians 1 verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, he, Jesus, he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. preeminence somebody said Jesus just just doesn't want to be resident in your life he wants to be president over your life recognize him for what he is he's Lord put him in his rightful place the preeminent place the dominant place, the prominent place, the preeminent place. The 
actually, as the little boy said one time, when you have Jesus in your heart and Jesus in your life, every now and then he's just going to stick out. He's too big not to stick out. Here's the takeaway. Recognize your need for his lordship and his leadership every day. Hey, why don't you this morning, why don't you decide, I've been living by a fallacy of self-autonomy long enough. Look at where it's gotten me. Some of you this morning, I say in love, look at where doing it your way has gotten you. How's that working for you, big boy? How's doing it your way going? When you come to the end of yourself and you realize it ain't going so hot for you right now, (laughs) why don't you just bow before his lordship? That's for all of us every day. Bow before his lordship. Recognize your need. And then number two, reverence him every day. Worship him every day. Get excited about him every day. Let him him set your heart and life and spirit on fire every day. Recognize your need. Reverence him every day. Have you lost your fire? Seriously. Have you lost your smile? You lost your joy? You lost your motivation? Have you lost your passion? For some of y'all in this room, good people, good people. But church has become a drag. Your service for Jesus has become a chore and a bore. And let me say this in love. Let me say this in love. That ain't his fault. (laughs) Because he's just as wonderful and just as glorious now as he's always been. Get your eyes off man. Get your eyes off somebody else. Get your eyes off this or that. Let's lift our eyes and get our eyes back on Jesus. Get your love back. Get your fire back. Get your joy back. Get your passion back. Get your motivation back. Because he ain't changed. He's just as awesome as he's always been. And then remember Calvary every day. At some point in your day, purposely, consciously, intentionally reflect on Calvary. In your quiet time with the Lord, ask him, Lord, take me back to Calvary today. You say, preacher, why do you say that? Because, gang, I'm telling you, you can't kneel with Jesus in the garden and you can't stand at the foot of the cross and gaze up into his face. You can't hang around the crucifixion in the Gospels much at all without it doing something to your life and your conscience and your spirit. I'm telling you, you want to live a humble life, you stay close to Jesus on the cross. You hang out by the empty tomb and you purposely reflect everything that he is and all that he's done for you. Go back to Calvary. Go back and read those passages 
the crucifixion account. Go back and read the Messianic Psalms. Go back and read the prophecies of the Old Testament. Hang out in Isaiah, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53. Hang out there for a little bit. And let God take his truth and his glorious message and his glorious gospel and the reality of who he is and the greatness of what he is. And let it change your life every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every single day.